Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. It was clear to me that with all the dependence on oil and natural gas that we have right now, that those days are numbered. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. And for those of you here in the USA, happy Independence Day. Regardless of where you are in the world, I'm thrilled that you've chosen to spend this time with me and excited to bring you today's guest. Well, regular listeners know that I spent a few days in Charlottesville back in April and had the privilege of meeting some of the town's solar and clean tech all-stars. Alex Bajanov is one such entrepreneur, and I am grateful for his head of marketing, Val Newcomb, reaching out to me to schedule this interview. Alex and his co-founder, Kevin O'Shea, share a passion for making things around the home easier, especially the ability to actually know what your home energy usage is. That's why they've created a device which goes far beyond your pedestrian energy use monitoring to actually allow you to control the loads right at the load panel. Lumen is breaking new ground in the smart home race, and I think they are destined to be another Charlottesville tech company success story. Tune in this week to hear how Alex got the idea for Lumen, how he and Kevin met and formed the company, and just how they expect to disrupt the smart home market and enable more solar and energy storage integration along the way. You'll find this and 165 other inspiring and influential leaders' stories over at mysuncast.com. Hey, while you're there, do check out our Suncast tribe and subscribe to the newsletter so you don't miss a single episode or announcement. But for now, get ready for another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, today's entrepreneur is someone new to me and and the business is somewhat new to me, although it may seem similar in some ways to previous applications that you all are familiar with. Alex Bajanov is the founder and CEO of Lumen, and he's also an inventor, an entrepreneur, had the idea for Lumen while tending to his first startup, Dream Power, which he founded at the University of Virginia's iLab while he was getting his graduate degree at Darden School of Business. Alex hails from Russia, where he held senior finance positions in global firms and has made his way into the entrepreneurial world to avoid going mad in the mining industry, I must assume. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here and an honor. Indeed, it's an honor for me. I have to give a shout out to your uh, VP of Marketing, Val Newcomb, who is uh, no stranger to Suncast. She helped us get Ed Fio on the show back when she was at Coronal. I have to say, I am really impressed with the tech culture, tech hub, and in particular, the number of clean energy, energy efficiency, renewable energy companies in Charlottesville. What's going on here? What's in the water? Yeah, it's an absolutely great place to be an entrepreneur in general. There's a vibrant community here. 
but also to be an entrepreneur in clean tech space specifically. There's a number of companies and that number is growing. Seems like one company would give birth to two others. Yeah. My co-founder, Kevin, used to work for a company called Heliosage. Uh, that's a yep. uh, solar company. And yep. now he's uh, with Lumen. It's amazing. I think it is in Silicon Valley that way, right? Because it starts to propagate these businesses. One of Kevin's co-founders, if I'm not mistaken, Matt, now runs another renewable energy company, right? After the coronal roll-up. So, and it's bound to happen again, not just from Corona, but Apex has birthed a bunch of children that itself was birthed from Greenlight. It's amazing. I've just in the couple, last couple of days I've been here, learned a lot about this renewable culture and startup culture that you guys have in Charlottesville that's envious. I must say on the way here, I knew nothing about Charlottesville, uh, quite ignorant of, of the fact that it was such an, uh, a hot spot. There's a number of important utility solar players in Durham where I live. You don't ever hear them mention companies up in Charlottesville. So they're only three hours apart. They're sort of sister cities in that way. I don't know of any other, except maybe Atlanta, any other uh, city south of the Mason-Dixon that has the type of activity that's happening here. Alex, if you'd tell me about your first exposure or foray into the world of electricity, home electricity, solar, I'm not sure exactly how you got exposed to this and decided that this is where you're going to really focus your business efforts. I mentioned dream power. Hopefully you'll weave that into the story. I will actually come in even earlier than that. As you mentioned, I have background in the mining industry and as such, I've seen um, a lot of you know fossil fuel and natural resources excavations. And I know for a fact that there's a limited amount of stuff in there. It was clear to me that with all the dependence on oil and natural gas that we have right now, that those days are numbered. I don't have a number in front of me that will tell, you know, is it tomorrow or 50 years from now, but the days are numbered. It was clear to me that it is very important for us to make a switch to new energy type, to new uh, sources of energy as soon as possible, if we want to make that switch to be as painless as, as possible. I was living in Russia back in the day, where a place where renewable energy is not even a, an industry. <laughs> and, and I decided to come to the U.S. and uh, while getting my graduate degree at Darden School to try this out. And uh, that's, that's when I started my first startup in uh, clean tech, uh, Dream Power, which was an energy efficiency business. It was pretty much like an ESCO model, but for a different market, small, medium-sized business customers. Yeah. And providing them with uh, energy efficiency upgrades and um, no upfront charge and uh, kind of then sharing into the savings down the road. And that was my uh, really my first exposure. In fact, there was a really fun moment when I just arrived to the US and I had an idea for a company in energy space where I wanted to put solar panels on people's roofs without any upfront charge as well and then sell the power to them. Probably two weeks into Darden, one of the professors told me, have you heard about a company called Solar City?" I'm like, no, I just came from Russia. Uh, and he was like, well, go Google. And yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoa, it's a public company. And two or three billion probably back uh, in the day. Yeah. Like, that's great. My idea works. Yeah. It, it, yeah, I'm late. That's fine. I've, I'll come that. up with something else, but it works. Yeah. If I understand correctly, Dream Power, then uh, you were targeting small to medium CNI customers, commercial industrial. That is correct. Yeah. And you'd go in, do some sort of a building audit. Basically, you establish baseline with the audit and say, I can save you money for every dollar I save you, give me a percentage back. 
Yes, it was slightly different. I developed this algorithm that would predict what their spending is based mm. on their past bills mm-hmm. and what their spending will be based on the uh, retrofits that you know I would bring in. And then like the, that that algorithm would say, hey, the savings here will be such and such, and here's the share. Yeah. And, but yeah, that was uh, the unique piece of, of the model. Tell me about the aha moment for you that pivoted your thinking away from dream power. Uh, I'm also curious along with that, whatever happened with dream power, kind of where did that business go? So dream power is still out there. It exists. It services existing customers. Mm -hmm. It does not take any new customers. So it's a kind of recurring low touch revenue business. So you did it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. To a degree. It was really hard to scale though, as everyone knows, CNI business, you know, it's really hard to sell to. Mm-hmm. And uh, the scalability of that model was really tough because you had to deal with lots of and lots of uh, small business owners. And they're just tired of people walking into their doors and trying to sell them. So I had to fight with like people who would supply them with payment systems and other stuff. So it was, it was hard. And, you know, uh, the aha moment, that was almost like an anecdotal story. A customer of mine, uh, which is a restaurant here on the uh, downtown mall in Charlottesville, it's a restaurant and it's a very old building. So like old buildings here, are probably hundred years old or something. Mm-hmm. They had a power outage and somehow they thought that the power outage was caused by the equipment that I had installed. Uh-huh. Well, I knew that was not the case because you can't really get a power outage out of uh, LEDs, for example. I got there immediately because customer service first and I tried to help them to fix it. So there's no power. So there's no light in the restaurant. We're in this dark basement yeah. where the circuit breaker panel is. Yeah. yeah. And we're trying to do something on it, even though we're not supposed to. And uh, I'm holding the flashlight on and lighting up the, the panel. And looking at it and thinking, boy, this thing is so old. And yeah. It's really old. Like it's mm. 50 years old. And that's when the light bulb, the proverbial light bulb came off. I was like, wait a second. Every circuit breaker panel out there is the same. Every circuit breaker panel is old. Yeah. Even the new ones that you can buy at Home Depot yeah. right now are the same. They're it's, identical. It's a piece of technology that hasn't changed over the last 40 years. The latest, innov- the last innovation really that happened there was going from fuses to toggles. Right. That's it. Yeah. And yeah, well, there's- a Breaker uh, instead. Yeah. 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 Well, they're like uh, GFIs now, but mm-hmm. not, not, not really a major innovation. Right. In- it's one of the most ubiquitous mm-hmm. devices in the world because mm. it exists in every building that is connected to electrical grid. And how, how's that possible in the world where we have iPhones and everything else? Uh, how's it possible that this thing has missed on any sort of connectivity, load management? I mean, you name it. Yeah. it it's, it's not still, there. That's still very much uh, dumb in, as we might describe yeah. it. In uh, I, I use this a lot. It's great dull metal box yeah. that does nothing. And of course, the... Next thing that I thought at that moment was, well, somebody is surely doing this. Yeah. Because it's just obvious. And so I went and did my research and there is no one. Really, there's no one who would allow for, you know, data in control of of energy consumption through that literally central piece in, in your house. It's yeah. it's the heartbeat of, of everything of energy in energy consumption in the house. I want to go back to that moment though, where you're in the basement and you're looking at that panel. It seems to me like the, the moment that you realize or the realization that you had was there was really no way to know just by looking at either the panel or anything connected to it, what was not working 
uh, for how long it had not been working if there was a fault. And the only way to test it was either to be a certified electrician, bring in a lot of equipment. Even still, there there's no guarantee that you would find what you're looking for. Yes, that was the problem. And the, another problem that I was experiencing back in that moment, well, not that specific moment, but with my business was even though I had the really good algorithm to predict the savings, mm-hmm. it was impossible to tell how much electricity behind the meter is going to the lighting, cooling, right. I mean, you name it, TVs or yeah. whatever that is. You've built a hypothesis, but to actually, you can't justify. Yes. You also don't know when the customer has inadvertently turned on new loads, if they somehow are able to manage to get it on the same circuit, et cetera. Yeah. It, uh, that's a very, that, that would present a fair challenge for that business model. They could erase the savings without need to pay for you well. <laughs> Just simply by changing restaurant schedule. Sure. For example. Wow, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Dream power was difficult to scale, but successful in a, as a business model. It was one that you, even to this day, are making money on. This aha moment happened and you realize technology hasn't changed in you know, four decades. What do you do with that? And, and what problem do you begin to ruminate on? And, and I'll say that as a way to say, obviously, we've talked about the fact that you have this company, Lumen. What, what is the problem that Lumen is effectively trying to solve? Right. The events that I just described also happened in 2016, probably uh, spring of 2016. That's when that proverbial outage happened in the yeah. aha moment. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not an engineer by education. Uh, I... After I did my research and I found that there's nothing uh, out there, I, I just started thinking about, okay, how would I build it? And pretty quickly, I arrived to the need that I need to learn a little bit about electronics and how relays work and how sensors work and how to interconnect them. I went ahead and watched a bunch of YouTube videos. Literally, that's what I did. Huh. And educated myself to the on, point on what YouTube videos on what there's a lot of DIY how to build home energy automation how to write simple code for you know these developer platforms like Raspberry Pi Arduino yeah. how to attach sensors to those I'm trying to walk myself to the point where you have a business called Lumen but I can't yet see if you thought to yourself oh I've got all these embedded commercial industrial customers. I don't like having to come out in the dark, you know, troubleshoot this non-problem with my customer. Uh, I'm going to build a, a solution for that. Or at what point did you say, ah, this is, this is going to only scale if I go to residential? Well, the focus was initially on residential, well, n- both residential and commercial, mm-hmm. really. But after I built that first prototype in, in my garage uh-huh. and, and it worked, it was like, whoa, you know, this, this can be done. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the, the circuit breaker panel can be changed. For those who are not clear, the this was the ability to manually control a circuit breaker at a circuit level with smart electronics. Yes. The overarching idea here is to bring this the, the intelligence, literally, to, to the grid edge, to the place where end users meet electricity. Right. It's the circuit breaker panel. Of course. That was the core underlying idea. Yeah. Can, can this be, you know, brought... To life. Yeah. At scale, can this be done? Yeah. There are a lot of complexities. Obviously, circuit breaker panel is the most regulated place in your house. Yeah. With all the electrical code and building codes and so on. You know, we talked about this in our first conversation. Uh, I had the founder of Smappy on some time ago, 
I'm familiar with since. Obviously, Google's got Nest, and they're eventually going to backward integrate towards the panel as well. Help me understand what you're trying to accomplish that's different from Smappy and their similar competitors. Sure. As I mentioned, by bringing this intelligence, by allowing for what you can call smart control, that makes us very different and allows us to achieve different things. So Nest and uh, Smappy and Sense and their uh, lots of other really cool home energy monitors out there, they collect data. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, that data is not actionable. You can see how much your house is consuming on your phone. Mm. Let's say you see that you left your stove on, but you're in the office. Right. What are you going to do? Well, uh-huh. obviously you're going to rush go back to, to your house. The key piece of Lumen is that we have this control capability that is powered by the data that we collect. Mm. So there's this continuous feedback loop that powers the algorithms that run the platform. This loop is is the critical piece of, of, of Lumen in what we do mm. is that we don't just measure. We don't just control, blindly turn things on and off. We control based on the data that we collect. So we control the things we know are running or are about to run uh, and so on. So that's that's the key component that makes it different. I first met Alex in the Dream Power days, actually. Let me pause for just one second and introduce you to Kevin O'Shea, co-founder of Lumen with Alex and the chief commercial officer. I'm always intrigued by how co-founders meet, and Kevin was gracious enough to humor me. Here's that story. Yeah, I was introduced to Alex by a mutual friend who told me about Alex and his idea with Dream Power. And he said, there's this crazy Russian guy. He's got this uh, idea for an energy efficiency company called Dream Power. And he was looking for a little sales counsel from, you know, a guy that had been around the block. So I got a chance to meet Alex, hear about the idea for Dream Power. And we first met on a sales call, actually. I masqueraded as a Dream Power sales, the head of Dream Power sales and went out with Alex. We called on a customer. So I walked him through the process of how to introduce yourself to the customer, how to uncover value, how to have a conversation around, uh, around how it might impact the business. Help me understand what informs your understanding, your knowledge of how to approach a residential homeowner with products. Well, yeah, I guess it's probably 25 years in the industry as, you know, what I'm really passionate about in my life is articulating value and looking for win-win agreements with people and businesses. Um, So I was fascinated with the idea. I was trying to understand the value that Dream Power brought. So it was that ability to, to get a dialogue going with a business owner on a cold interaction that it seemed like a challenge to me and it was attractive and it was a good chance to meet Alex and understand that business a little bit more. So I took it on. For those keeping up, we'll mention that or we'll remind you that Kevin was an early member at Heliosage, one of the uh, local solar companies here in Charlottesville around 2016. He had transitioned away from Helio Sage after the coronal roll-up and uh, was looking for something interesting to do, spend his time. That's right. Yeah. And I found it. And then some. And then some. You've got the idea. You've got the wherewithal, perhaps even got the capital. Who's the first person you hire? That's a question I'll ask typically of a founder. Another question I'll ask is how do you, how did you choose your co-founders and why? I think co-founders are necessary because they make you think, because they bring different perspective. I mean, if you look at Kevin and myself, we're 90 degrees, if we speak correct, Uh (laughs) geometrical terms, different. 
I spent a lot of my career in finance. He spent a lot of his career in sales. Yeah. There are probably no two other <laughs> backgrounds that are so far apart. Mm. These di different angles and different personalities, they help the company if managed properly. They help the company to move forward. They help to see things differently. And that difference comes together, makes companies a success. What's been the easiest or perhaps the hardest thing for you with Lumen so far? You know, frankly, the hardest thing for us, in my perspective, was the breadth of things and markets where this technology can be applied. So it was, it was landing on a killer value proposition in a market where it makes sense. That was the hardest because the ability to have the intelligence in a circuit breaker panel, ability to have that level of control mm. and that level of data that we have unlocks so many opportunities mm. across so many industries and so many market players. So as a startup, it is very, very important to land on one of those things because you don't have the ability to you know, do your research and market trials forever. You, you have to get out there. You have to start selling it. You have to start building the right product for the right market. And that was the hardest because we, we can do so much. What surprised you? I think it was, it was that really early understanding that there's nobody doing this. Mm. I still cannot believe it. The idea to bring control, to bring intelligence to the circuit breaker panel, it was not there. It seems such an obvious idea. And I'm aware that there are different attempts now, mm -hmm. but they all, you know, kind of so far looks like they're missing the, the point. At the risk of jumping to the end of the story for the sake of feeding my own curiosity about that point, as a founder, one of the things that you have to think about as a CEO is how to raise money for this venture and how to keep it alive and scale it. Given that you have to pick, you have to pick a vertical, you have to pick a market and charge at it. Who are the types of companies that are likely strategics for you? You mean strategic investors? Yes, strategic investors, but also potential uh, buyers, potential folks that would potentially roll up Lumen. Sure. We see that there are three verticals where this technology you know, makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. The first vertical would be hardware manufacturers, companies that build circuit breaker panels, yeah. and there's a good number of those and that are looking to extend their family because, mm -hmm. again, this is what's coming. Right. The intelligence has to be there in whether or not they're, they're going to be there is, right. is questionable. So those types of companies is kind of the first one. The second one would be associated with energy space. We add a lot of value to energy storage, residential energy storage. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of value for through, through the data that we collect and analyze to utility companies and uh, other uh, energy market participants. So that will be the second vertical. And third vertical is the data when it is applied to a more kind of day-to-day -day life, if you will, because understanding when people consume energy, how they consume it behind the meter, what their habits are, allows for many opportunities for uh, different companies that are big on data. So let's unpack that. Where does this really start to get fun and groundbreaking for you? Because I could imagine a boring business model where you go after the hardware manufacturer 
and you convince Square D that because UL wouldn't let you modify someone else's device, they should buy you because you're the you have the smartest faceplate for a Square D panel, right? Like that is probably something as a quick turn. That's probably something you could do in the next eighteen months because I've seen the devices that you've created. Uh, it's a it's a wall that you ran through. The second vertical is the one that you guys are targeting, storage. So unpack that for me. It seems to me through our conversations, and I want to get Kevin's perspective on this at some point, that your ultimate business is grid services, not necessarily home automation, not necessarily even simply data the way that, like we mentioned, Smappy is insightful, but grid level services tied to the home environment. That is part of our roadmap. Mm -hmm. As I already mentioned, one of the hardest pieces for us has been finding that opportunity to apply the technology. And the first opportunity that we're focused on right now is making residential energy storage smart yeah. by managing in-house energy consumption. So I think as many, if not all of the listeners of this podcast know, the grid is transitioning from you know this one-way traditional centralized electricity grid to the distributed energy grid of the future. And in, in this transition is fueled primarily by increased adoption of distributed energy resources like solar and storage. And we see that there's a missing piece to this puzzle, which is knowing when and how energy is consumed at a super local granular level and ability to control energy consumption with the same level of detail. And it's really funny because energy industry, the multi-trillion energy industry, utilities, it's a unique case, I think, in, in the history. It's it's the industry that does not know how end users consume their products. Yeah. The electrons. Because historically, utilities have stopped at the meter. And what happens behind the meter was always this magic black box. Right. And primarily, that was driven by their business model, which you know worked for a, a long period of time, but it's changing now. It's mm-hmm. changing because customers are doing a lot behind the meter. Right. And this is why we, we see Lumen technology, when, when it's at scale, bringing this crucial piece to this puzzle of transitioning to the new grid and being able to provide the data control needed for the grid level services. Mm. It occurs to me just now that you are the fermata of the home, right? Like, <laughs> that is a perfect uh, comparison. I, we, we need to tell David about that. Yeah. That's it's bi- bi-directional. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, essentially, and, that, and my listener will get this, Fermata, uh, for those unfamiliar, controls bi-directionally the charge state of a car. And we know that thanks to solar, we had to inject bi-directional meters so that these dumb utility business models could at least measure what was going back onto the grid, right? Forcing them to acknowledge that power was, was going both ways. What you all are going to accomplish or are accomplishing is the ability to measure in both directions, but also to control and to know at the circuit breaker level what's happening so that when you do have that data, you can then take action on it and take action in real time. The example you gave is you are at the office and you see that you left the stove on and you tell Lumen to turn it off. Yeah, or it turns it for you. Or it turns it for you, correct. 
One of the interesting things that folks certainly in the solar industry are familiar with is the, the notion of demand response. I have an air conditioner in my home that the utility turns off because I agreed to let them turn it off. Can you clarify for me where that model has gone wrong? It seems to me like that is a mechanism for the utility to know and control their loads. Am I wrong in that? As of today, that is the only mechanism for them to control your loads. Yeah. There are some programs that also involve smart thermostats, mm -hmm. but then that's the only load that they can really tap into. Sure. Where Lumen comes in, and that's one of the most exciting things for us, is this ability for smart demand response. Mm -hmm. So instead of installing a huge number of dumb kill switches, that's what utilities do right now, and then sending a radio signal to turn them on or off, you can turn off things that are actually running. Right. Because we have the data on saying, hey, this thing is running right now and it's you know adding to your peak. Yeah. Or it's about to run because we have the data for the previous X number of days or months and we can predict that it's about to run. Right. And then, of course, our tech expands on the number of things that you can control. So it's not only AC, it could be a water heater, right. could be your dryer, I mean, you name it. All major appliances suddenly become a part of this smart demand response. Hey, solar contractor, do you wish you could just cut down on the time-consuming site visits your team is constantly doing? Well, Aurora Solar, an NREL-validated sales and design software firm, can help with that. With Aurora, you can determine solar access, design the PV system, forecast energy production and bill savings, and present a compelling proposal, all without leaving the office. And as a Suncast listener, we have a special offer for you. For a limited time, you can get a free Aurora license with the first annual license that you purchase. If you go to mysuncast.com and click on the Aurora Solar banner ad, you will be teleported to their website, which you can also visit info.aurorasolar.com forward slash suncast and learn more. Bringing back to the focus for Lumen on the storage piece of the business, something that's front and center for every solar installer right now in the world, not just in the United States. Is Lumen a tool that would help increase storage adoption or storage application? If so, how? There's a couple elements to the Lumen solution that really add value to the, to the storage system. That, again, is the voice of Kevin O'Shea, Alex's co-founder at Lumen. We've talked to lots of solar installers, and all of them have identified this challenge that they have in conversations with homeowners where they're looking to install a relatively expensive residential battery on the order of twenty dollars to $40,000, yet it doesn't provide backup for their whole home. And with the Lumen technology and the automated control and load shedding capability that we have and the ability to sense when you're off grid. So we've opened up this potential for whole home backup and not having to pull out a subset of loads to, to back up, which is one of the things that solar installers are excited about. In speaking with lots of home builders and solar installers, uh, they've identified these two problems that they feel would really help accelerate adoption of storage systems if they were solved. The first is this ability to do whole home backup in a way that's not painful and expensive and you don't have to stack up a bunch of batteries to, to pull it off. And the other, equally importantly, we feel is 
backup that's dynamic and configurable that is based differently on different times of day, times of year, electricity mm. pricing, different priorities, different yeah, lifestyles. Lifestyle yeah. And and so therefore, uh, Kevin, it seems like the Lumen product allows an electrician to bypass what was previously a complicated process, which is to install a primary panel, therefore limiting to a certain number of circuits, three, four, five, what would be powered if the power goes off and you're only relying on your storage. Is that accurate? No, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And it was a complex conversation with the homeowner. Oh yeah. It's a balance. Was- yeah. Cause you, and you're locked in, you're locked in for life. Yeah. You decide what goes on that panel unless you rewire it. You're stuck with that, which is for those who are trying to keep up uh, with the conversation and aren't familiar with storage design, you effectively, for backup purposes, have one panel that's a sub-panel that gets powered by the storage in the event that you have a grid failure and you're relying only on the storage to power the house. So I get it. And so then configurable is what naturally evolves out of no longer having to have this dedicated sub-panel is now based on your lifestyle priorities, time of day, whenever there is an outage, you can have it configured to respond appropriately with the storage coming in. So we spoke to a homeowner who installed solar and storage system, and he told us he felt you know, super smart because he got storage and he was expecting that when the grid you know, goes down, he'll have power. And that's exactly what happened. And he had this protected loads panel, and I don't remember what exactly he had there, but Let's assume his fridge and maybe his lights and his TV. You know, that worked. And he had lights and his TV was working. His beer was cold. And then he told me, you know, and then I decided to go shopping. And I went down to my garage because my car was parked in my garage. And I realized that, oh, I forgot to power my garage door circuit. It was not on the protected loads panel. So he was stuck at home and he couldn't do anything about it because you only get to make that choice once. Talk about an uh-oh. You just can't really predict for every life situation that will happen, which circuit you're going to need. Yeah. But today, you're stuck with that choice that you have to make when the battery's installed. And that's the problem that we solve. It's really interesting opportunity for us because we were applying the same technology uh, the same set that we have. Mm-hmm. And if you think about dynamic energy pricing markets, like demand charge markets, for example, in of which there are currently six and a half million people in the US, it's it's not small wow. by any measure. If you think about it, it's the same problem you're managing for peak consumption, very similar to what happens when you manage for your residential storage system consumption, because it has certain capacity yeah. uh, and, and you have to stay under that capacity. And so we help those markets, people in those markets, by reducing their bills, by avoiding high peak charges that they you know, will, would be facing otherwise when they run things during peak hours. So we help people with uh, time of use rates so that they could schedule their appliances to be on or off during on-peak or off-peak times uh, mm. when the prices are high or low. And we, we can also bring up front and tell them Hey, did you know that running your laundry at 7 p.m. when your electricity rate is still super high costs you $3? Right. If you schedule that or 
just do that later at 10 p.m. That will save you that those three bucks. Right. And that's, you know, every every time. Yeah. So there's monetary aspect of that. But also there's the aspect of the energy mix. Because during peak times, we all know the energy on the grid is quite often very dirty. Yeah. And you typically don't want that. And if only you had a chance in the ability to learn about that in a tool that will tell you that. Alex, we talked about three verticals, hardware manufacturers, obvious ones, storage and data. Before we move on to some of the more esoteric questions uh, that I like to ask, how does data really play in to all this? And I also want to ask a question that I expect you're thinking about, but at some level, consumers start to get a little bit, well, they're becoming very conscious about ownership of data. How do you think about that as a, as a third-party provider? You're thinking about ways to manipulate the market dynamics through that data. So first and foremost, we never sell our customers' data. That is like the cornerstone of our business. We do analyze it. We derive general trends that help us to help our customers, really, because we uh, apply extensive algorithmical and uh, you know, uh, software machine learning models in and help our customers help them to predict their energy consumption into the future that's mm-hmm. that's how we use the, the their data but i think it's really important to understand especially looking into the future that you know data about energy consumption will will be playing large and larger role even for guys out there who do just solar today that you know the, the consumers eventually would like to have more services they would like to have more energy-related services that are based on their data. And I'll, I'll give you, you know, a couple of ex- examples here just to kind of explain the point. So the guys who just do solar, that value prop for end users is kind of, there, there's, you know, diminishing return there because they want more. All of a sudden, they want storage, energy storage. All of a sudden, they want energy efficiency. And maybe they want some, some uh, ongoing services. So... Uh, for example, the data for us helps to predict potential appliance failures because we see energy consumption wow. signatures of individual appliances. So if it's your fridge and you have a compressor, would you like to come back to your home one day and you know just to find that, oh, <laughs> I have a problem. I have a huge you know leak and uh, my yeah. fridge has not been working for the last five hours. Or you would like to get a message from Lumen saying, hey, it looks like your compressor is about to go. Probably make, it's time to schedule a maintenance visit. Yeah. Yeah, you used the word signature, which the first time I had heard of that was uh, when the founder of Smappy presented it as a concept. And he said it's like the Shazam of energy. And it sounds like that's what you're referring to is that listening. Yes. The, the extrapolation of this data is powerful. That's a really great anecdote. And I think it's a great place for us to pause uh, at the risk of going on, on for more than an hour on just on the technology itself. What are some key lessons or takeaways from the most important mentors in your life? I've been very lucky to have a certain number of really good mentors and advisors uh, to me in you know just personal capacity and to the company. But for this question, I would actually like to refer to some of the advice that I've got you know, from books, because I think that's that's really important. I think for an entrepreneur, someone who runs a startup, it is it is really probably the most crucial thing is iterate. 
and not never stop iterate because that mm. is the lifeblood of a startup yeah your company is emblematic of that we were joking before we started recording that you had been told by several folks over the course because you just jumped into this not knowing what the process normally is for product development how many versions of your product have you released in the last two and a half years yeah our company is two and a half years old and we are on the sixth generation of our product and i'm not counting like <laughs> sub-generational sure. iterations yeah. this is hardware and countless versions of the software and data yeah and for context what's the average life cycle of a generation of product and hardware typically it's two years <laughs> and if i knew that when i started I think that would have slowed me down. Yeah. Because I would think that, oh, it's two years. It's normal. Yeah. But the conventional wisdom would have slowed you down. Yeah. Yes. Which also is to say, if by thinking you were being really clever, you had gone and hired someone who has the conventional hardware development background, you may well have hamstrung yourself. Because we didn't know that, oh, standard is two years. We didn't know that. Mm. So we just went ahead and pushed strong and... Yeah, I guess the average for us is uh, four or five months. Five months, yeah. Uh, and having seen the iteration of your product, you certainly have landed on, most certainly Gen 5 was a deployable product. It was a, we could put this in Home Depot tomorrow type of product. There was nothing necessarily saying we have to iterate again and bring out a Generation 6. But you are not satisfied, right? And so that <laughs> the, the, the desire to say, no, it's still not ready is what is driving that iteration. Yes, because we we always see the next challenge mm. in what we where we want to go, where where I want to take this product further. Yeah. What it doesn't do now, what the current generation does not do that I would like it to do. Right. And there's this constant iteration. Yeah, Can yeah. we do this? Can we do that? And and I think for any startup, when you stop doing that, you fail. But it's remarkable you're treating a hardware startup like a software startup. You're iterating constantly and, and redesigning, retooling, breaking down the product and building on the core that worked and throwing away the pieces that didn't work. You know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, the hardware software, because if, if you stay long enough in, the, in this office, you, you would quickly realize we see ourselves as software and data. Mm. And the hardware in many ways is a necessary evil. Right but also a huge protective barrier for yeah. us because we, we have that hardware that nobody else has. So you really do need a strategic hardware firm. <laughs> Potentially. I mean, it, would be, it would be massive for you to have Square D come in and inject uh, you know, a, a 40 or a 60%, you know, ideally a 40 and not take controlling interest, but to take a strategic position in your business and start manufacturing the case for you so you could really just focus on the software. Did you raise money to get this thing going? Yes, it's uh, it's a capital intensive business. Yeah, and uh, we we needed cash to iterate, to build the prototypes, to yeah. get it to where it is now. We already talked earlier. We're lucky to be in Charlottesville. It's it's yeah. a great place with many investors, especially lots of investors who focus on clean tech and understand the value. Mm. So uh, we did fundraise in. We're actually planning to do another round to scale this business because yeah. now that we have a technology that's proven UL compliant, which is not a minor thing that is patented mm. and uh, that that has a you know perfect market product fit, 
value proposition. Is so this, we need to scale it. Is this the kind of thing that you're raising hundreds of thousands or tens of millions for? Well, it depends on the stage. To start with, yeah, you can probably go with uh, several hundred thousands. Mm -hmm. But as you grow, you need to get to the two millions. We see ourselves as the standard addition to a residential energy storage system, because it just makes sense to get a storage system, be it a Tesla Powerwall or mm -hmm. any other system that comes to mind with this platform. Uh -huh. And it doesn't make sense to get your system and get a protected loads panel because it's just dumb. And therefore, we need to scale this. And, and therefore, we need lots of money. Alex, you've raised the money. You've deployed six generations. I'm sure that there are both walls you've jumped over and run through, as well as those that have stopped you dead in your tracks. What advice do you have for others who are trying to go down this, a similar path? You know, one thing that I learned by running several startups by now is that a startup is a roller coaster with really nice and pleasant ups and really low downs. And this is normal. Unfortunately, it is normal for all the founders out there or would-be founders. You have to get used to this. It's a crazy ride and there's no way around it, really. Yeah. I think if you don't have the ride, you're probably doing something wrong. It can never just go up all the time. Yeah. Um, some case probably just can go down all the time, but that <laughs> ends quickly. And that ride, like the failures that lead to that ride, it's it's just an integral part of the startup and yeah. you have to learn on them and and get stand up and get better. In the importance of the team around you in in your co-founders really like makes that ride wouldn't call it smoother but definitely better and potentially helps you to either avoid you know deep downs or you know go through them together cuz you know you you have mutual support you mentioned earlier that a lot of your mentors were books. Is there a book that you have given away or recommended the most and why? Yes, there certainly is. And it's really interesting you asked about books because we have, I may even call it a policy here at Lumen, which is more of a friendly rule. We have a list of books mm. and each person on the team gets to recommend one book to the list. And so it's ever growing as we grow as a team. And, and then, you know, there's one copy of every book available in the office and anybody could pick it up and read. And the list is obviously also available on online. Yeah. And my recommendation to that list, which I can speak to, and uh, my recommendation really to any founder or anybody who is in a startup is a book called Lean Startup mm -hmm. by Eric Rice. It's an amazing book that, teaches really what we talked about before, which is iteration, how you need to keep iterating and getting out there without maybe even in some cases, building a perfect product, getting your customer feedback. If you don't have customers, just some market feedback. So don't sit in a room, get out there, mm -hmm. speak to people, speak to the market, and then incorporate the feedback. What recent book have you read that has impacted you greatly? The most recent book that I read was um, actually one of the books from the list that I mentioned, recommended Fantastic. by uh, uh, one of our guys, uh, Brian Sullivan, our head of data. And that was the book uh, Seven Powers, Foundations of Business Strategy by 
Hamilton Helmer. It's one of the business strategy books, yeah. to be clear. I found it very impactful in the sense how it distills the core powers that create advantage for any company, really, startup specifically, but you know, could be applied to any company, and how that is applied to, through the lens of real world companies. Alex, what habit or consistent practice has had the greatest impact on your life? Love my family and probably work hard. These are the two. You know, especially as, as it relates to work, I'm, I'm the type of person that kind of learns by doing. Mm-hmm. In, and that applies to many areas, not, not work only. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's how I learned sailing. Like wow. A lot of ropes and sails. But applying that to, yeah, to business life, to company life, not being shy of doing pretty much anything that has throughout my life has helped me a lot. Alex, where would people be able to connect with you? Are you on Twitter? I'm not. LinkedIn? Uh, yes, LinkedIn. Oh, our website, email. And the website is? Luminsmart.com. L-U-M-I-N. Smart. And let's end today with a bold prediction. Alex, what one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? Oh boy. It's hard to make a specific prediction, but you know, in the same spirit that attracted me to um, energy space in general, I think that there are three things or three large spaces, of course, that we, when I say we, I mean, we as humanity, Mm -hmm. we need to figure out quickly. Mm -hmm. And the first one, is obviously where I'm involved. That's energy, transitioning energy to uh, clean, renewable, sustainable energy. And, and, and I think that will come through distributed energy grid and ability for people to be essentially their own utilities right. and make decisions, informed decisions on how and where they get their power from and you know, uh, at what price. Another space is food in general, mm-hmm. like where the breakthrough will, will come because mm. the way we do agriculture is not sustainable. That's the space to, to uh, where we need to address a lot of efforts. Mm-hmm. Last one, but not least, is space, yeah. uh, space travel, uh, huh. because we, we tend to think about you know, limited resources, how you know, we, have, we have that many, that much metals, we have that much oil, whatever. But if you think about space and infinite resources, really, that paradigm changes and we cannot remain the closed system of a single planet. And so that's why I think figuring out space is is very important. Alex Bajanov is the founder and CEO of Lumen. Lumensmart.com is where you will find everything related to that company. And I'll link to his LinkedIn as we usually do. Such a fascinating conversation today, Alex. Thanks for joining us on Suncast. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to be on the podcast. It was a pleasure to host you in our office. And play solar pong. And play solar pong. It's a new sport that we invented. (laughs) Side business for Lumen. If you are interested at all in solar pong, a video of Alex playing one of his employees will be on the blog post, as well as photos of the iterations of the Lumen panel and the current version 6 that is ready to ship soon. 
Well, that's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warrior, but the discussion does not have to end here. Did you think that Lumen idea is bleeding edge? A great idea? What challenges do you think they'll face? Alex and I would love to hear from you. So if you don't mind, please post your thoughts on LinkedIn or Twitter and tag Alex Bajanov, myself, Val Newcomb, Kevin O'Shea. You can also find and comment on the LinkedIn post that I've made for this episode. And as always, you can find the Twitter handles and other resources and highlights, book reviews, and all of the goodies that we have in each of the discussions for each episode over at the blog, mysuncast.com. Click on that listen link and you'll be teleported to the episode page where you'll get the show notes, social media, and website links, all the other goodies I mentioned for each and every episode. And while you're there, won't you check out the Suncast tribe? You can be a part of my inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. Click on that member button to learn how to gain access to the uncut interviews and tribe exclusives, our Slack feed, and many other ways to interact with the Suncast community. And hey, even if you don't join the Suncast tribe, you could join our newsletter where you'll be notified of the next episode when it comes out, or perhaps where I'll be next in the world. And speaking of next, next week we have two episodes coming, one with Bill Parsons of ACOR updating us on the legislation to watch out for in Capitol Hill. And the second is with my new friend Gulad Ahmed of Power Off Grid, all about building his solar company in Africa and funding it with his real estate company here in the United States. Well, happy 4th of July to you, and I hope that you have a great rest of the week. I truly value your investment of time here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. 